Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Uh, Like I said, we're, we're in 21 days of prayer right now. And I've been so encouraged by the amount of people who have shared with me that they're fasting. But I think even more than that, I've been encouraged by some of the bold prayers that people have been willing to pray, willing to bring to God in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because let's be honest, we've all prayed prayers that have gone unanswered, okay? And if you haven't, tell me your secret. Um, you know, it, it's a part of this, this walk. And, you know, we, we, we can laugh about it, but at the same time, it, all of a sudden, I, I think we can put up walls sometimes and say, that's too big to pray. I, I, if I pray that, I know it won't be answered. And I want to challenge us to take that thing and give that to God and say, God, I want you to minister to this. So, and as I've had some conversations with families in this church, there's people who have taken that thing out from behind the curtain and been vulnerable enough to say, God, I'm going to believe you for this. And I'm believing God's going to answer those prayers. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. God's not scared of your requests. The Bible tells us make every request known. Amen? So, uh, yeah, I want to challenge you in that. And you can see, it doesn't take long as you read through the New Testament to see that when the church commits itself to prayer, when the church prays together, it's powerful. Right? Now, we have these specific needs. I know there's people who are praying for specific breakthroughs or restoration or healing in different areas or whatever it might be, and I love that, and I want to continue, like, you know, get something, bring something specific to God. But there's this collective prayer we have over this 21 days, too, which is our theme for the year, and it's God transform us. That's what we want. Yes, yes, I want, the, I want the healing. Yes, I want the touch. Yes, I want a renewed mind. Yes, I, I, want, I want the financial breakthrough. I want the promotion at work. I want all of that. Yeah, God, I want that, but that's just fruit, right? That's just the fruit. What I really want is Jesus and to be like Jesus. We, we want to be transformed in 2021, but we don't just want to be transformed into a better person. We don't just want to be a better dad or a better mom or a, you know, a better worker, better boss, whatever it might be. No, there, there's intentionality mixed in with our transformation, right? We want to be transformed into the image of Jesus. I love this verse in 1 John. I read it this week, and it says, those who say they live in God. Now, I asked this first service, and not a single hand went up. Who would say they live in God? A couple more? All right. Altar call again. Here we go. There's a guy named Jesus, y'all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, y'all need prayer. First John 2, 6, it says this. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Blunt, right? Tell it how it is. I love it. That's some solid truth. If you say you live in God, if you say you love God, know God, serve God, your life should look like Jesus does. If you put your faith in Jesus, your life should reflect and echo that of Jesus' life. But maybe there's people in the room and you struggle with why the emphasis, I, I don't understand why we put this emphasis on the, uh, in worship on the person of Jesus. What is that? And I was in the barber chair yesterday, uh, me and Travis Kelsey were sitting there getting our hair cut. And, <laughs> and I was talking with my barber and, he, and we were just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze and he told me about his ex-girlfriend in high school and how they had been dating for a couple of weeks. They dated for like three years and they had been dating for some time. I don't know exactly how long. And she was like a, you know, good girl, good grades, behaved, you know, was upright, all, all, all that. And uh, he goes, they finally had like the God talk. And he's like, so, you know, I believe in God. Do you believe in God? And she goes, no, I'm an atheist. And he was like, what? 
you're an atheist? And he was blown away because she was a good person. And sometimes I think we fall into this belief that to be a, like Jesus makes us a good person and the only way we can be a good person is in Jesus. And, and there is some truth in that, right? But I think we, we think it, Jesus just is behavior modification. And if, and if you don't believe in Jesus, then you, you can't be kind to others. You can't be encouraging. You, you don't know how to forgive. You'll never be nice. You live this grouchy life in a hole if you don't know Jesus. And we know that there's people who don't love Jesus, but they are upright moral people, right? See, the thing that we have to remember is Jesus doesn't just make us a good person and he doesn't just change our behavior. Jesus brought us from death to life. There are no good people. We're all broken. We all have a sin issue that needs to be dealt with. The reality is we're all unfit for the standard of heaven, but there's one person who makes us fit. There's one person who makes us right in the eyes of God. His name is Jesus. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on that cross so we could trade places with him and we'll be with him in, in eternity. He came to earth and said, my father's prepared a place for you in heaven. I'm the way you get there. Put your faith in me. Believe that my grace is sufficient. Believe my sacrifice is enough. This is why we emphasize Jesus. This is why we model our lives after Jesus because Jesus changes everything. Amen. Jesus changes everything. So for that, not only do I serve and love and trust Jesus, but I myself personally, and I hope you as well, desire to live in a way that echoes and reflects who he is. Um, so that, that's our prayer over this 21 days. God, transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. It's our prayer for this year. Transform us. Show me what I need to pick up. What do I need to put down? What do I need to do to be more like you? Transform me. Um, and a huge part of that is, is going to be developing a prayer life. And, and we're focusing these next 21 days on prayer and fasting. So I want to continue our conversation on prayer this morning, if that's okay. And my hope is to just continue. If we just talk about prayer enough, hopefully we'll kind of move on out of January and we will just be people of prayer who prioritize prayer. It's just a part of our life. It's something we do. Anyone else got another P word? Come on, we'll throw, we'll throw it in there. But seriously, like, because not only is prayer conversing and communing with God, but if we're gonna be transformed into the image of Jesus, we gotta do the things Jesus did. And Jesus prayed, right? We see this. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't only pray, but he was so adamant, so passionate about prayer that he sat down his disciples and he taught them how to pray. So really my goal for today is I want us to take a seat next to the disciples and just submit ourselves to Jesus's teaching on prayer. And I want to walk out of here with a little more knowledge. Like if we're going to learn from anybody on how to pray, Jesus is probably a good starting place. Amen. Is that okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this verse. It's Jesus talking to his disciples on the mount. We, this is out of Matthew chapter 6. He says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That's all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything, then he'll reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Then he says, pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then Jesus kind of closes out. He says, this is how you pray. And then he closes it out with this interesting little phrase. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Some powerful truth right there. All right, let's pray and then we'll jump into this. Jesus, uh, as we're gathered in this room, I pray that right now you would till the soil of our hearts. Maybe there's someone listening to this on a podcast right now, God. I pray that you would even prepare their heart as we deliver this message. I, I pray as the seed of your word goes forth, as the seed of your truth goes forth, it would take root in our hearts. It would grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't wanna just listen to your word and not be transformed by it. God, we want this to develop something within us. We want it to shape and mold our character and our, renew our mind. God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear your word, but I pray that we would do your word. God, you say that those who just listen to your word and don't do it, they deceive themselves. And we don't want to deceive ourselves. Help us to be authentic Jesus followers in your holy and mighty name. We all said, amen. Man, so um, growing up, most of you guys know I was born in Rhode Island. I was born northeast, and then I, I eventually, you know, in about middle school, went back there and finished middle school and high school and graduated high school before I moved out to Missouri. Um, but about three or four years old, was born in Rhode Island, three or four years old, my family moved out to Ohio. Okay, and Ohio takes their football serious. And football was always something I was passionate about and I loved. I think I fell in love with the sport when I was like three or four years old. And uh, we moved out to Ohio. So lo and behold, my NFL team became the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, I loved the Cincinnati Bengals. They had a quarterback named Jeff Blake. He was number eight. Anyone remember Jeff Blake? We got one guy in the room, a couple guys in the room. Okay, enough said, right? This is uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Ladies and gentlemen, so pray for me. It was a, a difficult couple of years. And I remember it wasn't, it wasn't my birthday. It wasn't Christmas. It wasn't anything like that. I came downstairs early in the morning, or maybe my dad had woken me up early in the morning, brought me into the kitchen, and in this little plastic like flag football case, there was a Jackson Jaguars football, which I really didn't have a whole lot of interest in, but there was this big Jeff Blake jersey. And I'm like, this is the greatest gift I've ever got. You know, I couldn't believe that dad had got me Jeff Blake's jersey. I had Jeff Blake's jersey. This was incredible. So I'm like three or four years old, and I probably wore the thing every single day. Regardless of how terrible the team was, I was a loyal fan. Three or four years old, fall in love. Now, I love football, was passionate about the game, but I hadn't played football yet. So now I'm in fourth grade, right? And it's time to put on the pads. It's time to hit the gridiron and do this thing for real. No more pretending to do stiff arms in the living room and diving over the couches. Time to get on the field and do this thing myself, okay? I got an NFL to get to. You guys know how it is. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm ready. The, the problem is I loved football. I loved football, but, but I definitely uh, had to develop as a football player. I'd never done tackle football before. So I just conveniently, I think dad had a work trip my first week of practice, first year playing tackle football. So me and my mom are left with all 80 pads that you need for football, looking at it like a jigsaw puzzle, okay? We're like, how are we going to figure this out? I watch it, but I don't know how they get it, where they get it, and where everything goes. So what we didn't do is put the cup on my face, praise God, okay? We, we, got, we, got, we got past that part. That is not a nose guard, amen? Okay. 
So I show up to practice. My pads are all over the place. I look like an absolute clown. Didn't take long for me to somehow earn the nickname Armpit, which low-key kind of hurt my feelings. I didn't love being called Armpit. And then it was like time for the physical part. It was time to hit, you know? It's time to clack, whatever you call it. You know, lay the wood is what I would call it. Like, you know, it's time to get after it. And man, I don't think a practice went by where I just didn't cry. Like, I just was such a baby. It hurt. I always got knocked over. I came home. I'm like, I want to quit. No, I don't want to quit. I think I want to quit. My mom's calling my dad. She's like, Mackie wants to quit. I don't think he can do the football anymore. You know, he's like, he's like no, she, he's going to play football. It's like, I don't know what to do. They call, they call me armpit. Ah! You know, it's just, it's not good. I had to develop as a football player, okay? So football season ends, I get through it, I make it out alive, and now for the summers, remember, we're, we're from Rhode Island, so all our family's in Rhode Island, so for the summer, we go back to Rhode Island, and, and we had like one schedule for every single day that we were in Rhode Island. It was wake up, go to the beach, hang out at the beach all day, go home, sleep, next day wake up, do it all over again. So while I'm at the beach in Rhode Island this summer, and we're there for the majority of the summer, I get down in the water, and, and the wave just knocks me over, and it's like PTSD from football practice. <laughs> I swear there was this guy who called me armpit from, from the shore. I said, shut up. No, I'm just kidding. So I, I was like, you know what? I, I decided in my head, I was like, all right, I, I'm going to run through these waves until they don't knock me over anymore. So it, the waves would be coming. Y'all know if you've ever been in the ocean, there's some great velocity there. You know, there's some thunder behind these waves, and, and they'll get you. And I would just run at these waves and just hit them and try to, try to stay on my feet and not let them knock me over. And some would knock me over, and sometimes I'd stay up. And, you know, it's, it, people are probably watching from the beach like, what is that kid doing? <laughs> yeah. Is that an armpit? I just know. <laughs> So, you know, I don't think my sisters have any interest in, in doing this whole wave training with me. Um, I don't have any friends because I'm not from Rhode Island. That's the only reason, okay? <laughs> and, uh, you know, my parents are up barbecuing, and they're with the rest of the family. It's just me. It's just me. I'm down there. No friends, no siblings, no coaches, no one cheering me on. Just a fourth grader out here grinding in the Atlantic Ocean, trying to, trying to get better to be the best football player I can be. Nobody's watching me. Nobody's cheering me on. And the reason I share this story is because I look in, in, into Matthew chapter 6. I listen to Jesus' teaching here, and I, and I find out that Jesus cares a whole lot about who we are when no one's around. Jesus cares a whole lot about what we do when no one's watching, Right? So as, I, as we look at this passage for today out of Matthew 6, and we, and we heed ourselves, and we heed Jesus' teaching, I just want to set the scene and, and make sure you guys understand what's going on here. So in Matthew 5, 1 through 2, it sets the scene. It says, one day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began teaching. So we see for all of Matthew 5, for all of Matthew 6, and for all of Matthew 7, Jesus is sitting here in a huddle with his disciples, and he's just teaching them about life, teaching them all different principles. He talks about anger. He talks about divorce. But one of these things he takes time to talk about is prayer. And I love that, and that's what I want us to do. I just want us to sit down in this circle today, sit next to his disciples, and just listen to the teachings of Jesus, believing that if we do this, and if we apply this to our life, it'll transform our prayer life. Amen? Y'all got faith for it? Yeah. All right, Matthew 6, 5 through 7. This is what Jesus said. He opens up with this. 
He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So there's three common practices of of a Jew back in this time. Three spiritual disciplines that all Jews did, and if you did those, you were a, a good Jew, right? And that was the almsgiving, that was to give to the poor, that was to pray often and consistently, and then it was to fast as well, okay? So those three things. So Jesus addresses those three things in this conversation with the disciples, because we know Jesus was Jewish, and he's saying, you know what some people do? They just do these spiritual disciplines in front of people just to be seen, But those who do it just to be seen, that's their reward. That's all the reward they get. Yeah, you want people to applaud you, be proud of you for how spiritual you are. Wow, you're really doing a great job. That's your reward. You get an earthly reward when you do things to be seen, when you do it for the appearance. Then he goes on and he says, but when you pray, he says, we don't pray like that. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private where nobody sees. And then your father who sees you will reward you. Here's what I find out from Jesus' teaching. Jesus isn't concerned with appearance. He's concerned with authenticity. Write that down. He's not just concerned with your appearance. He's concerned with the authenticity of our pursuit of him, right? Why are you pursuing him? Why are you praying? Why are you spending time? Is it to be seen by others and to be be perceived as spiritual, or is it coming from this authentic place of, God, I have needs. God, I want to know you. God, I want greater intimacy with you. Would you, would you, would you speak to me? I want to speak to you. I want to I hear you with clarity. Give me a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. Notice, he says, he didn't say perfection, right? His grace is, he, he's interested in authenticity, not perfection, right? And his grace is sufficient, He does desire an authentic pursuit of him, though. He does require that we seek him with everything that's in us. He wants us to check our motives. And I believe this is why he challenges the disciples, hey, go into your room alone and pray to your father who's in private. And I think it's hilarious because we'll read this verse, we'll look at it, and we'll say, you know, those religious leaders, all those people praying in public, they're so self-absorbed. Gosh, they're so obsessed with them. I would never do that. All right, I'm going to set up my Bible. Here's my coffee mug. <laughs> Take my, do my Jesus time. And you haven't read your Bible in two months. We all, shots fired, y'all. Come on, we do the same thing, right? He, he's not interested in, in the appearance. God is interested in our authentic pursuit of him. Are we doing it to be perceived as spiritual? Or do we really want to know Jesus more? And I think it's important that we understand Jesus isn't saying don't pray in public, right? He's saying don't pray for appearance. We can look at the Bible and we can see there's often times where the church comes together and they corporately pray and believers pray for other believers. And we see Paul do that all the time on his missions. We see Jesus pray for other people. He's not saying the only time you pray, go into your room, lock the door. He's just telling us to check our heart, right? He's telling us to check our intention, um, Jesus, essentially what he's saying is, you know, I I don't think you need to go into your prayer closet for your prayers to count, okay? I, I think that's, so this is Jesus challenging his disciples with the thought, who are you when no one's around? Who are you when no one's around? What, what does your pursuit of the Lord look like in private? And one of the things I love about God, because this equals the playing field, God's all about the heart. He's not about appearance, He's not about talent. 
He's not about ability. He's not about good lucks. Praise God, Pastor Duel. Amen. Come on. <laughs> You'd be in trouble. God's about the heart. He, 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 cares, about, he cares about the inside. And, and y'all know us, me, humans, we're shallow. We're flawed. We get distracted by those things. Even the most godly men get distracted by these things. I love it. We can see back in, uh, in the Old Testament with the prophet Samuel. A prophet in the Old Testament is someone that God would speak to directly, and then that prophet would speak to all the believers and share God's message. And so there's this you know, prophet named Sam. We'll call him Prophet Sam. And God gives him the mission, speaks to him. Hey, I, I want you to go to this man, Jesse, and I want you to sort through his sons and anoint one of them to be the next king. Okay, because the king we have, King Saul, he's corrupt. So Prophet Sam goes to Jesse's house, and he's looking at all these uh, brothers, right? I think there's eight of them, and, and they're, some of them are macho men. Some of them are basketball players, six, eight, big, tall, handsome. You know, they look like Pastor Duel. It's crazy. No, just kidding. See, I came back complimenting. You got it. Grace and truth, baby. Punching a hug. Um, so he, and, and you can see Prophet Sam is like, oh, this has got to be the guy, like, even a, a, a man of God like that needed this message from God. God says to Sam, hey, prophet Sam, don't look at his physical appearance because God looks at the heart. Don't be distracted by what you see. God cares about what's going on in the inside. He doesn't care about appearance. He cares about authenticity. Amen? Say amen if you're with me. Okay. Here, here's what I also love. These authentic prayers that are done in private, right, when, when our intentions are pure, Jesus tells us that they're powerful Right? He says, if, if you do it just to be seen by people, that's your reward. But then he says, but it, when you do this, when you go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who's in private, your father who sees everything will reward you. Our prayers in private are powerful, right? They produce reward. Let's continue with the teachings. Y'all good? Y'all with me? Okay, G- Matthew 6, 7, Jesus continues. He goes, also when you pray, don't babble on As the Gentiles do, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. I love this. Now, just to bring some clarity here, he says, don't pray like the Gentiles do. Well, who are the Gentiles? Jesus. So a Gentile in this time is anyone who doesn't believe in in the same God that the Jews do. Really, a Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish, anyone who doesn't believe in the one true God. So they have multiple gods, they have idols, rituals, whatever kind of pagan worship they have, it's pagan religions. He's saying, don't pray like the pagans pray, because how the pagans pray, they take their list of gods, they have their need in mind, and they go through and they recite all the names of the gods that they have, hoping that one of the gods they name will minister to their specific situation and will be able to help. It's recited, it's not intimate, it's it's manipulation, right? I think what Jesus is really trying to communicate here is you don't have to be manipulative in your prayer using a specific formula or meaningless verbiage to get his attention. Why? Because he already knows your needs before you ask. He told us that. Isn't that wild how he would say, get in your room, pray to your father who's in private. By the way, he knows, them, he knows your needs before you ask. What does that tell us? God wants community with us. God wants us to pursue him. God wants us to talk with him. God wants us to draw near He knows our needs before we ask, yet he still desires that we spend time with him and talk with him. He's a good God. Maybe parents in the room, maybe that resonates with you. Like you just love, you know your kid has needs, right? I know they gotta be fed, they start acting up. If not, 
You know, I know i got to change a diaper. Or I, I know they need shelter. I know they need love. I, I know they have needs. I know what those needs are. But when they come to me, when they snuggle up next to me, when they, when they talk to me, man, I love that. And I think this is the father heart of God. And we see Jesus even speak to that as he moves on in his prayer. As he moves into Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus says, you know, he's, he's spent all this time talking about what prayer is not and what, and what it shouldn't be and, and some of what it should look like. But then Jesus just very bluntly, black and white, says, all right, y'all, pray like this. Matthew 6, 9, he says this. Our Father, right, because God is a, is a good dad, right? He's a good dad who cares about our intimate needs, who cares about every request we make known. He cares about our, our emotional health, our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health. He cares about our soul. He's, he tends to us. He loves us, right? But then Jesus also says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Or maybe you've heard it said, hallowed be your name. So also, I know how mighty you are. I know how great you are. He started this prayer off just kind of like David did. There's this, there's this balance in pursuing God. If we're going to read Jesus' prayer, I don't think Jesus gave us this prayer saying, you need to say this prayer exactly like this. I think what this prayer teaches us is how to prioritize issues, right? What issues to pray, what things to bring to God. So he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Or holy, your name be kept holy. There's this balance. When we come to God, we need to have a balance of intimacy and reverence when, when we step into our prayer life, right? I think there's a couple things we can pull from this, but first I'll read the prayer and then I'll, I'll pull the principles out. So Jesus says this, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Again, we know there's been whole denominations who have taken this prayer and they recite this prayer specifically exactly how it's written in the Bible and say, that's what prayer looks like in your life. But we know that's not what Jesus wants because he literally just said, don't keep repeating things, babbling like the pagans do. That's how the pagans pray. God wants an intimate prayer life with us. This, this, is, this is showing us the things we should pray about, the things we can bring to God, what, what prayer life would. Jesus is giving us almost an outline for how we can pursue God and the things we can talk about with him. Um, so I don't think it's wrong to recite this prayer. I've recited it. I'm sure many of us in the room have recited it. And I love that. I think God loves that. But for us to think that's sufficient to be my entire prayer life is just foolish, okay? So remember, God wants us to come to him, to share our heart, to ask him, to be with him. Prayer is not confined to just looking specifically like this. Is that okay? But prayer, it does help us understand the kind of issues. This prayer that Jesus gives us help us understand the issues uh, that prayer should prioritize. So first principle we pull from Jesus's prayer, okay, is pursue him with intimacy as father and pursue him with reverence, okay? Approach him. Uh, it's a balance. Uh, come to God intimately and reverently. 
Two, he says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second principle that we pull from this prayer, all our prayers should willingly submit to God's plans, purposes, and glory. God, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make some of these requests known, but ultimately I want you to do what you know is best. I wanna be within your plan and within your will. God, you carry it out whatever way, but I'm gonna make my request known because that's what you told me to do. And we see Jesus. I, I know this is a you know overused example, but that's why Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane on his face, drops a blood. He's he's so anxious. He's so overwhelmed. And he says, God, I don't want to go to the cross. Can this cup pass for me? But your will be done. You do what you got to do. I'm just making my request known to you. Jesus did it so we can too. Amen? Amen? Thirdly, make your request known. He says, give us our food for today and forgive us our sins as we forgive others who, uh, you know, sin against us. So he's saying, give us our food for today and then forgive us of our sins. You see two types of needs here, physical and spiritual. AKA, bring all your requests to God. Whatever you need, let them know. Br- bring it all to God. Give me, give me what I need for today. My, my physical needs, spiritual needs, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my request known. But I think it's so interesting that Jesus then says, forgive us as we forgive others. It's like Jesus prophesies, expects, assumes that believers are that of which are the kind of people who forgive others. He says, forgive us as we forgive others. And then fourthly, fourth principle, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I know I'm moving through it kind of fast. Y'all with me? Okay. Fourth principle, he prays for spiritual strength. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, right? So pray for spiritual strength and to, to become all that God's called you to be, purpose you to be, all the ways he's gifted you, all that, step into that. Pray for spiritual strength. And then Jesus revisits this idea of forgiveness. He zips right back into it. Verses 14 and 15, he says, if he just mentions this at the end of, he goes, pray like this, blah, 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 blah. He didn't say blah, 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 but th- then he finishes it and he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. It's powerful. I think it's interesting that Jesus would squeeze that in right there. I don't know if I totally understand it. But as I got to thinking about it, this tells me that God desires and delights in our purity. In fact, our purity and our willingness to forgive is is one of the major ways that we're going to reflect and echo the God that we serve, right? Because he's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of mercy. I, I think this teaching with Jesus is where we learn as believers, when we choose to hold and harbor unforgiveness, it's actually more harmful to us than it is to others. Right? And I know maybe you guys have heard unforgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt them. You know, we've heard it, but it's true. It's like unforgiveness doesn't, it's not detrimental to anyone as much as it is to you. And Jesus is trying to communicate that. Your unforgiveness isn't going to help you and it's not going to hurt that person. Get rid of it. So, believers, if we're in the room and if we consider ourselves to be a Jesus follower, if we claim to be a Jesus follower, desire to be an authentic Jesus follower, you need to forgive. And if you're sitting here and, and there's someone in your heart or someone in your head and you know you haven't forgiven them, it's time. You need to. I, w- I would say it like this. Unforgiveness keeps you unclean. Unforgiveness, it keeps you unclean. God desires purity. You know, part of the reason I'm so passionate about this, and I've talked about it before and I'll continue to talk about it for as long as I pastor this church, for as long as I preach in this church, this is something I always want to bring to light, that the way we live our life does have the, uh, the way we live our life can affect the effectiveness of our prayers. 
And I know maybe that sounds wild, but the way I live my life, it has the ability to hinder the effectiveness of my prayers. And we see this in 1 Peter 3, 7, right? Peter's addressing husbands. He says, husbands, treat your wives right, treat them as the weaker vessel, but then he finishes the verse and he says, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. That tells me if my prayers can be hindered from mistreating my wife, then I would assume my prayers can be hindered when I just have outbursts of anger on the people around me. When, when I lie, when I cheat, when I steal, when I use perverse language, whatever, whatever it might be, what I see is sin can hinder the effectiveness of my prayers. God desires purity, right? You know, there's another verse I was reading in Proverbs 15. Now, this isn't about salvation. This is the effectiveness of our prayers. That's what I'm talking about. Because his grace is sufficient, right? I don't want you thinking, man, I sin, that God hates me. It's like, man, God loves you so much you couldn't even comprehend it, right? I mean, he, he gave up his own for you. But this isn't salvation. I'm not talking about ruining your salvation, but I'm, I'm talking about ruining your anointing as, as you pray, you know, it's like the way that I, I, I kind of visualize it, it's almost like we're vessels of, you know, God's power that flows through us. And when we're so willing to have sin in our life, it's like we close that vessel. When we live pure lives, it's like we, we, we widen that vessel. Okay, Proverbs 15, 8 through 9, it says this. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights. Everyone say delight. delight. He delights in the prayers of the upright. Verse 9 goes on to say, the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Notice, he didn't say he loves those who are perfect. He loves those who pursue righteousness. Are we pursuing righteousness? Because God loves it. God loves our purity, right? And let's not forget, it wasn't Paul, it wasn't Moses, right? It wasn't Peter, it wasn't James. It was Jesus who said, if you love me, do what I command. If you love me, follow my commands. So, um, Kim, you can come on up in the keys if you wouldn't mind. But uh, like I said, Jesus, is, he, he sits down, he basically gives this whole sermon to his disciples while they're kind of gathered around him. So we have all of Matthew 5, and then we've spent most of our morning in Matthew 6, and then Jesus kind of wraps it up with his, uh, you know, his, his little passage on prayer. And then in the next chapter, Matthew 7, Jesus picks up the topic of prayer again, and he talks about effective prayers and what makes prayers effective. And something that I so appreciate is, you know, we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all the story of Jesus told from different perspectives uh, of men who experienced Jesus, heard about Jesus, walked with Jesus, um, and, and they all are writing to their different, different demographics, and they try to steer it in a way which they'll, they'd be able to understand Jesus. And, you know, so so... Luke writes about the same lesson Jesus is teaching that Matthew wrote. And I, and I love the way Luke puts it. So I want to jump into Luke really quick, but it's still on the same lesson. It's still in the same teaching. So Luke 11, 5 through 10, it says this. This is Jesus, right, with his disciples. He says then, he says then, teaching them more about prayer. So we see Jesus is teaching about prayer. He used this story. Jesus says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, hey, a friend of mine just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, hey, don't bother me. The door's locked up for the night. My family, we're all in bed. Get out of here. What are you asking me for? The door's locked. I'm tired. I want to sleep. What are you asking me for bread for? 
But this is a story Jesus is sharing. He told it just like this, I promise. <laughs> Verse 8, he says, but when I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, just because you're, you're friends, right? If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Everyone say shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. Now, Jesus is not saying that he wants to lay in bed and ignore your prayers, but Jesus is trying to communicate. He desires that believers, as we approach God, as we pray, ask, ask, ask again. Shameless persistence. God, you haven't done it yet. I want to see you do it. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel. I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep pursuing. God, you haven't done it yet. I want to see it. You told me keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. Knocking eventually that door is going to come through the door. That's what he tells them. Lord willing. So if I had to analyze Jesus' prayer here, you know, we spent all morning sitting under Jesus, you know, sitting next to the disciples, listening to Jesus' teaching. If I had to, if I had to pull, um, you know, what, what effective prayer consists of? Effective prayer. If I, if I had to put it into three pretty points, okay, I'd say that, one, effective prayer. For our prayers to be effective, we need privacy. Privacy, which is really just our intentions. It's a matter of the heart. If you're taking notes, you can write this, this down. One, privacy. Two, purity. God cares about our intentions. God cares about our unforgiveness. God cares about our anger. He, he wants us to rid ourselves to those. He wants us to live pure lives that echo and reflect who he is, right? And then three, he desires persistence privacy, our purity, and our persistence are going to lead us into a life of effective prayer. Amen. Is that helpful for anybody? So I know you guys were wondering about my football career a little bit. Um, <laughs> alarm pit was on the rise. <laughs> Spend all summer, man, hitting these waves, hitting these waves, looking like a maniac, totally by myself, and we get, we get back, summer ends, fall rolls around, it's time for football, right? And I don't even think this drill's legal anymore. Actually, I had a parent tell me that their kid's still doing it at football practice, so. But it's called bull in the ring, okay? If you played football, maybe you're familiar with it. And you put one guy in the, in the middle, and then the whole team circles around this one guy. And then the coach will basically call a number, and whoever gets called, now you guys are running at each other, just clacking, just hitting I don't know, toughen each other up, I guess. This is, this, is the, this is the goal. So this is why it's illegal now. You can see people are getting hurt all the time. So I'm in the middle of the circle, and I'm like, this is my moment. I've been training all year, all summer for this. I will no longer be armpit. Let's go. Yeah. They're going to call me the dominator. Let's go. They're going to call me Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so I'm standing in the circle, and that coach blows the whistle, and I go around, and I knock down just about every single person on my team. You know what? And I know it's a silly example, but that's, that's transformation, right? And I think there's power when, 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 when who we are, who we are when no one's around, if we'll pursue God in, in the private, if we'll pursue God in purity, if we'll pursue God with persistence, right? Come on, I, I believe he's going to transform who we are. We're going to look a whole lot more like Jesus at the end of 2021. Amen? Y'all got faith for it? 
Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.